We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red state? Oh, yeah. And well, the future is always uncertain. Whatever but more uncertain now. And listen, Blue Ivy is six years old, Beyonce is she tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five, four, That's why you need three, to take a meeting two. with Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about people-powered financial markets <laughs> manipulation. I'm Sean P. McCarthy and I'm joined today by my fellow bag holders. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Yogi Polywool. And we want to talk today about what has been going on with GameStop and the stock market more generally. Uh, we're recording on Saturday, January 31st, 2021. The S&P 500 ended the week down 3.3%, the worst week since October 2020. Well, stock in the video game retailer GameStop ended the week up 400%, closing at $325 per share. Uh, and before we talk about why that is, what happened, and what we think might happen in the future, we should begin with some mandatory financial disclosures. Well, first, I, I wanted to turn to a, a brief explainer from the um, Turning Point USA oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, popular show, Poplitics, uh, mm -hmm. which kind of gives a good overview uh, before, before our own uh, explanation. So here's the GameStop controversy, broken down for conservatives who don't get gaming and don't get stonks. And yes, I said stonks. She got a stomp. She got a stomp. She got a, she got a, she got a stomp. Now stomp with it. Go stomp with it. Get stomping with it. Gross. I like it. So I like that that's Talking Points USA. So that's what uh, Sheldon Adelson's estate is being spent on. <laughs> oh, turning, turning Points USA. Oh, Turning Points. Yeah. Those, those dancing hot dogs in the video are not cheap. No. It's just going to confuse boomers and they'll be like, there's these new things called stonks. They're different from stocks. <laughs> I'm trying to buy them. Conservative comedy has got to be the, the best grift in the world <laughs> because, you know, everybody you're pitching to is uh, half blind in a community home. <laughs> so they don't even know if you're uh, which kind of particular message you're sending. That's right. But to get back to our mandatory financial disclosure, we should mention at the top of this episode, uh, if you could not figure it out by listening to any episode of this podcast, none of us are licensed financial professionals. Uh, mm -hmm. Nothing we say on this podcast should be taken as financial advice. It is strictly for entertainment purposes. You should not invest any money in anything that you are not willing to see go to zero dollars. And lastly, we should go around the horn and just acknowledge if any of us might own any shares in any stocks we may or may not talk about today. Uh, Andy, perhaps you'd like to start us off? Uh, sure. Yeah, I've got five shares in AMC and two shares in Nokia. I guess I spent $90 on it all. Uh, no GameStop because I can't buy fractional shares right now. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know. I've also got a couple guitars, which I guess you could call investments, uh, sure. cause those tend to appreciate in value though. I, uh, I modded them a bit and I'm not sure what that does to the value since once I'm sure I'm shorting the guitars, <laughs> that's only going to work out for me, man. I am going to, uh, anyway, uh, I think that covers my bases. Um, and I've got 
I don't know what counts as an asset and what doesn't, but I've got a bunch of uh, bullshit all over the floor of my room, and that um, that's also assets of mine. Have you looked at the failed-to-deliver numbers on Mustang guitars, though? I think the hedge funds are seriously... <laughs> they have been shorting Mustang guitars without having the physical assets. Just like GameStop, you can't buy <laughs> fractional shares of Mustang guitars, so I don't have any of those. I got an old Ibanez. Uh, that did the show intro, and then I got a Epiphany SG. Nice, Stephen. What you got? Uh, nothing. None of the, none of the uh, securities we'll be discussing today. I mean, in my head, I bought 100 shares of GameStop on Wednesday, but I didn't actually do that. Hmm. So, nothing in real life. Hmm. The listeners can't see it, but when Steve said nothing, he was actually sweating profusely. <laughs> 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 no, I do not own any GameStop at all. Uh, yeah, I currently, like most Indians, have all my money wrapped up in gold. I have gold buried in various locations all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, I bought a whole bunch of GameStop, GameStop stock in uh, Best Brokers, the uh, app that we use on Grub Stakers. Feel free to join us and add us as friends if you want to play along. And uh, yeah, I doubled my investment and I'm killing all y'all motherfuckers in the fake investment game that we play. And I bought uh, the same stuff a day after Yogi and have lost a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> like any good financial advice, you give it a little bit too late. <laughs> like, yeah, Yogi has Andy holding his fictional bags. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I bought, so on, I think Tuesday, no, Monday, I bought... 30 shares of AMC literally because I saw somebody on Twitter post a picture of an astronaut standing at the moon on the moon and seeing an AMC theater there and going, (laughs) what are you doing here? And the thing about that was I then like an idiot, I was just day trading on Robinhood at my day job. And I like, I had what I am told are called uh, paper hands or weak hands and I sold my AMC shares, all but one. Oh, buddy. And then literally in after hours, if I had just shut off my phone and done my day job and instead of trying to be a day trader, I would have made $500 in after hours. <laughs> but, buddy. but because I couldn't just do my job, I had to fiddle around with uh, mm-hmm. you know, my green line stock market app. I cost myself about $500. That's what happened to me with like GameStop because Wednesday was the last day you could buy fractional shares of GameStop. And by the end of the day, I, I had like $20 in GameStop. I made like $3 from the days like uh, trading. And then I was like, wait, this might be a scam. I might be getting screwed over by uh, some bad faith actors. And I sold my GameStop uh, stock. And then I, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it didn't let me sell the AMC stock uh, until the next day. But then, of course, I couldn't get after after that I changed my mind and wanted to go back and it wouldn't let me because you know Thursday they shut off GameStop trading and then Friday they wouldn't let you buy fractional shares. Yeah, I um so let's see I own one share of AMC. I do own 3 shares of GameStop purchased at an average price of $266 per share, 267 per share actually. Um and this is another brilliant investment of mine where I heard about this, you know, a month ago. And I thought, GameStop is overvalued at $25 a share. And then I went out and I bought it at $266 per share. And now I'm sitting on three shares of it. Uh, We'll return to that later. I also own uh, like five shares of silver, one share of AMC. And 
I did buy 40 shares of Naked, again, because I saw somebody post this on Twitter, and I assumed that this was the Naked Fruit Smoothie Company. It's Uh actually a clothing Uh company, which I had no idea (laughs) when I bought it. Um, So I hope this will discourage anybody from following my particular investment advice. (laughs) See, Sean, you got the magic card hands, but unlike some of us G's over here, we got them Kenny Rogers hands, all right? You got to know when to fold them and know when to hold them. But so we'll give a little bit more of a detailed explanation of the GameStop situation in a bit. But just to kind of give you the Cliff Notes summary version, uh, the Reddit board Wall Street Bets has, uh, or some users there, have ident- had months ago identified GameStop as a heavily shorted stock. It's, of course, this retail video gamer. Uh, video game company, a lot of hedge funds and other companies think that all this brick and mortar shit is going out of business. So they all shorted it. They mm-hmm. all predicted the company would go bang- bankrupt. Uh, these users and some others had the idea that if they buy it and they hold it, they can do what's called a short squeeze, which we'll explain later. And this has kind of like led to this massive increase in the price, uh, 400% the last week, I believe uh, 1,600% this month price increase. <laughs> Uh, but so kind of before we go through it, I thought we could all spend maybe five or 10 minutes just giving our overall opinions on the situation, which is that acknowledging the fact that I own three shares of GameStop, I am as a U.S. citizen formally urging President Xi Jinping of the People's Republic of China <laughs> to sell his country's entire share of U.S. treasuries and dump it all into GameStop stock Monday morning. <laughs> Because, you know, it, like, first of all, China would make money doing that. But more importantly, True. you would get the mother of all propaganda coups if President oh, yeah. Xi destroyed the hedge funds and gave the American people their stimulus checks. I mean, come on. <laughs> it writes itself. I'm just shocked that a company that used to rob all of its customers over the used price of their own go- games and goods is now what's saving the people that are now broke. It is true, Yogi, and I was thinking about this earlier, that 20 years ago, as like a video gamer, GameStop was the most evil Goliath on the face of the planet. And this just shows like how progressively more evil everything gets. That like, (laughs) now these are the Davids. We're like, we didn't know SAC Capital would exist when we were hating GameStop. We just thought this was as evil as it gets. But no, these these are the good guys now. I was... I'm just recall throughout this event. I'm recalling walking into GameStop 20 years ago, right? As a 12 year old, and looking, they looked me in the eyes and told me my GameCube that I was trading in was only worth twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I okay. I'm willing to sit, I'm willing to just overlook that if you guys allow us to buy your stock mm-hmm. and ruin a couple hedge funds. What if what if their uh, massive price increase has nothing to do with all this this stock manipulation and it's entirely like oh shit we forgot to uh, add console arbitrage to our balance sheets <laughs> <laughs> and they just discover that they have a trillion dollars from underbuying and overselling used consoles. I was gonna say uh, you know the price target of seven thousand dollars seems unrealistic until you realize that the PS5 and Xbox Series X are sold out everywhere. So mm-hmm. this is actually right. a value investment, not a momentum <laughs> investment. You know, I got one over on GameStop years ago, similar to Steven. 
I once sold my original Xbox and all of the games I had for it. I had, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 games at that point. Um, but the Xbox, it, didn't, it wasn't the Red Ring of Death because it was the first console, but none of the games would work on it. And so, except for Fusion Frenzy. And so I took the Xbox to GameStop trying to sell it. And the lady behind the counter is like, I'll try a game out. And she grabbed Fusion Frenzy. And she put the disc in, and I'm like sweating because I'm like, oh man, if this game doesn't work, she's gonna be like zero dollars. And it works for like two minutes. She's like, yeah, okay, we'll give you sixty bucks for it or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, it felt like Ocean's Eleven. It felt yeah. like I was screwing over the man. Yes. Power, power so to I've, the player. <laughs> <laughs> I have been uh, very accustomed to making money from GameStop that wasn't necessarily legitimate in the long run. Yeah. My brother and I, so for a while they had this program where you could like, if you didn't like a game, return it and get a new game. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my brother and I kept doing that. So the guy at the store had to tell our dad like, so this is not a rental store. You do actually <laughs> eventually have to keep one of these games. <laughs> I remember that. I think that was the GameStop insurance. Yeah, something like that. It's like you, you spent like 20 bucks a month. And GameStop was like, yeah, if you fuck a game up, you can get come in and get a different one. And then you, know, you and your brother did it to it. I will say, honestly, even though I think GameStop is fucked from their business model standpoint, uh, mm -hmm. I, I would like, I mean, we need used discount game stores still. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they can't do it, but somebody ought to be doing that. It's like, I'm, I have my PSP, you know. I still need to go somewhere to get games for that. Yeah. I mean, as a business model, they unfortunately can't be bigger or even as profitable as like Amazon or eBay in terms of a used market. But in the grand scheme of things, a physical location that functionally repairs and sells games and consoles of eras that are no longer being produced is something that should exist everywhere. Like, I hate that that seems so far-fetched. Like, what? A repair store for shit that you already own and parts for things that they don't make anymore. But it's like, no, this is how the world should work. I mean, it shouldn't be that if I have a Dreamcast and I want to buy fucking Ready to Rumble that I have to dig through the internet instead of go to a guy who smells weird and will get me the game for pennies on the dollar. I felt when Radio Shack went under. It's like, well, what if you want to buy weird electrical components? <laughs> Like yeah. You have to go yeah. online now. I, I yeah. miss just walking down the street to a store that had whatever weird capacitor you wanted. <laughs> Is there truly no place in the market for in-person pickup of weird random electronic components <laughs> or of old <laughs> video game systems or their games? Right. Like Manhattan has both of those, but then you have to, that they're not like, yeah. It's It's not something that's like franchised anymore. Well, that's why GameStop was the villain 20 years ago, because there used to be all these, you know, used places or just kind of hole in the wall right. shops you could get video games. And the GameStop business model was, what if we replace these all with one store? And now yeah. why they're the hero is because the hedge funds are like, what if we replace this with zero stores? <laughs> what if you just can't go anywhere physical to buy things? You have to buy everything on the Internet. And so, you know, we, we, we didn't even know how good we had it with just GameStop. Right. I've been wondering if maybe GameStop could turn the situation today to its advantage somehow. 
and maybe do like an overall rework of their business model to be like, okay, we'll we'll vamp up the online business, but we'll still have like the repairing shit and trading stuff inside business or something. Yeah, maybe like I, after the pandemic, make it a tabletop game thing, like something mm. that justifies the brick and mortar property where like, I don't know if that's profitable at all, um, but yeah, make it kind of community oriented. Has GameStop released a like statement about any of this? Have they been like, hey, by the way, thanks, bros? Uh, I don't think so. They did uh, their Twitter account quote tweeted Robinhood uh, when Robinhood tweeted out uh, when yeah. Robinhood shut down trading in the stock. Uh, Robinhood in 2016 had tweeted out, let the people trade. And so <laughs> GameStop's official Twitter account quote tweeted that with the uh, what, I forget the name of the, the JPEG, but it's the little monkey looking like kind of confused. Fuck, what is it? Real quick while Sean looks that up. You know, Andy mentioned Radio Shack a moment ago, and I remember when Radio Shack was, like, shutting down their locations. Uh, we, there was one that was near, next to my parents' house, and me and my brother and a friend went, because we were like, let me get some cheap wires or something, like, you know, some random bullshit, right? And I went up to the door, and I pulled it, and it was like a glass door, and the door fell on me. Like, it, like, broke from the hinges, like as if there's no screw on there. Like they were using that for a different. As if it were a shack. Uh, door, right? And it fell on me. And then the employees inside came to the door to be like, "Why did you break our fucking door?" And I had to look at them like, "Why'd your door fell on me, you pieces of shit?" And uh, they're like, "We're closed." And I'm like, "If your door's falling on me, maybe you're open." <laughs> it was a very odd situation, but I was like, "Yeah, I can understand why that place is going out of business." <laughs> A place that doesn't have functioning doors is a place that I'm pretty sure won't be able to sell me an RCA cord uh, at a profit. I have one more GameStop story. Is I remember being traumatized as a child because I wanted to buy Tekken three, and I call I mm -hmm. called the store like three different times because I would I called them right. and I was like, "Do you have Tekken 3? And then they were like, "Yeah." And then I hung up and I called back and I go, "Do I need to reserve it? Right. Can I come in and get it?" And he's like, "Yeah, we got plenty of copies. You can come in." <laughs> And then I call back and I go, how much is it? <laughs> and then it gives me the price. And then I hang out and I come in. And then when I was in the store, I hear the employee making fun of me to his coworker. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like seven or eight years old or something. I was very young at the time. Maybe I was 10. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so he's like, and then he calls back and he's like, how much is it? I just goes through it and I was and I just like didn't say anything and I bought the game and then I told this to my friend later and pretended that I got up in his face and, and my friend uh, very correctly didn't believe me and he was like no you didn't you didn't say anything at all to this guy uh, but yeah that one stuck with me yeah my cousin who's in the mob beat him up there <laughs> The GameStop saga is extremely interesting to me and I think important for a lot of reasons, but like overarching, I felt like it was a repudiation of just like the value investing theory of stock prices, I guess, mm -hmm. where, so like there's the orthodoxy of like securities pricing for stocks is, is it should be generally be based on underlying fundamentals of a company, like say a couple, like within a corridor of multiples 
of the company's earnings. So like the price should be some multiple of the earnings. And like if it gets too high, it snaps back to the where it was before eventually because that's like reflects some underlying natural reality about the stock price. Right. And this is like evidence that that's not true and that it's just the price is set directly by people and institutions in the market, much the same way that prices are set for industrial and commercial goods. So like the price of a, like a consumer good or a, an input into a business is its costs plus a markup of whatever the company needs in order to make a profit. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, why well, that works. It's called administered prices. There's a whole theory of it in economics. And so I've just been wondering like, oh yeah, that works for those prices. What about stock prices though? Why are those somehow different? Right. And like, this is like an ex a real world experiment showing that like the, it's, it's more like uh, what's referred to as a Keynesian beauty contest, which is uh, what Keynes said is what's really going on in the stock market is it's what people say a stock is worth and how powerful that person is within the financial market. That just becomes what it is. And like there are people who lead on prices by s who are very important and may use things such as value investing to dress up their opinion of what a stock price ought to be in, t in order to be fair. Right. And like they say like, well, this is what it is because it's um, it's only 10 times uh, multiple of the company's earnings. And historically, that's where it's been. But that's very hmm. that's like circular logic if you think about it, because they're saying like, this is the natural price, but that's only because you write a book called securities analysis back in 1950, which is like a Bible for stock pricing. And it says that that's how you ought to price things. And there's a lot of people who think that that's what the price of a stock ought to be in order to be fair. So it's like a circular logic of that. And there are other, but the, the GameStop thing is saying like, no, it's a bunch of people who are like, no, the price is whatever it needs to be in order for us to fuck over these couple hedge funds. Like, that's a fair price. <laughs> the price yeah. is how me and my friends make money at your expense. And it shows like this underlying rally of like, maybe there isn't a fair price and the price is just whatever it needs to be for various groups to profit off of it. So we should probably start at the beginning with the... Um how this is affecting hedge funds and, and what exactly happened um, uh, that led us to this place. Uh, yeah, I think we'll get into, I have a small timeline here and then we have a lot of definitions. The last comment I wanted to make before we start though is uh, I believe this is the modern equivalent of the Spartacus rebellion. I think this is like kind of, you know, a, a Roman era slave rebellion. This is what it looks like when you have I'm a bunch holding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm holding. No, I'm holding. I'm holding. I'm holding. I've got five on it. No, no, no. I'm holding. Uh, but, you know, it very possibly will end the same way, and we'll talk about how um, things have been kind of rigged in the market this week. Wait, we're all going to get crucified? <laughs> Is that what you mean, Sean? Yeah, Redditors crucified <laughs> along I-90. Yeah. <laughs> And across the land, the people that held would be crucified <laughs> until they found the original WSB holder. But there's there's some level of nobility in that. You know, I mean, I guess 
It's kind of a question of like, are you going to sell your shares and surrender to the Romans or will you fight to the last man and be crucified in uh, 6,000 across the roadways leading to Rome as a lesson to the other slaves to never again buy GameStop stock? As long as one child can hold, every (laughs) life lost is worth the sacrifice. Exactly. (laughs) Look, GameStop. It's yours. He's free. (laughs) He can hold or sell whatever he wants. He's no longer controlled by the hedge funds. Go, go, GameStop, go. Tell me, do you like pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Do you like tendies or pizza? (laughs) Can we start there between tendies and diamond hands? I don't know what these words mean, but I do know that I'm up on best brokers, and that's all I care about. <laughs> Maybe we should yeah. define some terms. Yeah, but I mean, you know, kind of in summary, this is, a, you, you can argue about the extent to which this is retail investors leading this, as to whereas certainly in the last week, big money institutions have got into this trade. But it is certainly, a at least initially, an instance of people-powered, uh, hive mind getting into tactics usually done by institutional investors such as hedge funds in this mm-hmm. case a short squeeze uh, but you know with that we should go into defining tendies and diamond hands and these other essential terms to understand what's going on here and don't get stonks and yes i said stonks she got a stonk she got a stonk she got a she got a she got a stonk now stonk with it go stonk with it get stonk here with <laughs> This is the most evil thing the Koch brothers have ever done. (laughs) (laughs) This video was produced by David from hell. (laughs) David, David has to watch it every day in hell. (laughs) So yeah, Steven, what are tendies? The tendies? What are tendies? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. What are tendies? Um, that's wait. Okay. Literally. I I don't know if I know or not. Is that (laughs) tendies? Tendies are when or if you can sell right i thought it was just the chicken tenders that you can eat when you make a bunch of money yes it's it's referring to like well once we can finally sell then you get the tendies Mm. well i I might have some explanation here because you know wall street bets the reddit board its description is like 4chan found a bloomberg terminal and so mm-hmm. a lot of that Chan culture kind of migrated into Wall Street bets, you know, with a bunch of people day trading, but using this 4chan lingo. So tendies sure. does mean chicken tenders. And it's kind of the idea of like a lot of uh, neats, not in education, employment or training people on 4chan would post about, you know, their mom bringing them chicken tenders or like oh, I see. there was like a, a copy paste a while ago about some guy said like my mom gave me good boy to coupons and I can turn in the good boy coupons for chicken tenders. <laughs> <laughs> chicken tenders or something like that. But I see. Yeah. Okay. At some point, this became a meme. So on Wall Street bets, they talk about it, but it has also come to mean like <laughs> gains because when you make money, right. you can buy chicken tenders or chicken tendies. Okay. So if that you sell your stock for a profit, then you have tendies. 
I like how I opened this by being like, Stephen, what is this financial term? And Stephen was like, I'm not exactly sure. And Sean was like, oh, it connects to 4chan. I know everything about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, that was more of a Sean question. <laughs> All right, so what about diamond hands? What do we got there? Is it the same concept? That Oh, I know that one, I think, anyway. I'll try to answer it, and then Sean can answer it for real. <laughs> uh, so if you have paper hands, that's like you're... You, oh yeah, I see. You yeah. you bought into GameStop or whatever, but you sell out too quickly, right? Right. And it progresses up to diamond hands, which is the apex people who never sell. And they gotcha. just hold on sense. to. They it. got rock hands. Yeah, they hold yeah. on to. It. They don't let go. Right. Is that fair? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Like, so the other thing is, there's there is a finance board on 4chan, but it has kind of been eclipsed by Wall Street bets. It's called Biz or sure. Biz. And biz is mostly just been, you know, literal uh, cryptocurrency coin scams where people <laughs> just like shill cryptocurrency that is totally worthless and try to get other people to buy in <laughs> to their pump and dump scam. But, um, but yeah, so like biz uh, started this whole meme of having weak hands, which if you sell your cryptocurrency, <laughs> you have... <laughs> You have weak hands, weak and so hands, they'll right. they would post like memes of like Wojaks pointing guns at you and saying, <laughs> "Show me your hands, put your hands up. Do not, you know, uh, do not have weak right. hands." And then weak hands became paper hands, and of course, diamond is the hardest metal to, known to man. So this is the hardest not hands. a metal. Uh, yes, the hardest substance known to man is a diamond uh and this is the the hardest kind of the least weak hands you could have the least paper hands would be diamond hands right right and applied to this situation which we'll get into of like okay you know someone else uh suffers when the price goes down and if you just mm -hmm. buy and then hold the whole time it's easier to make them suffer because the price goes up, up. Mm -hmm. right stay it stays up as well right yeah, it's you have more control in maintaining the high price to make the other side of the trade suffer. And so diamond hands would be preferable for this strategy. So I think that just about explains everything people need to understand what was happening with GameStop stock price this week. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the, the timeline of events, though, everything that's happening to the hedge funds is something that was self-inflicted, right? They borrowed way more than they were like physically could, which led to this entire short situation. Yeah, maybe we should run through the mechanics of this. Okay, you guys are ready. Um, are there, are there any more terms we wanted to find? I was. He got a stomp. You need he to for part of this. He got a. He got a. He got a stomp. Now stomp with it. Go stomp with it. Get stomped with it. <laughs> Is there a difference between stonk and stocks? Or is that might you presume stonks are more exciting stocks? Um, stonks are like stonks are when like millennials and zoomers do it. Yeah, oh, they're okay, stocks. They are stocks, but only if boomers, sorry, if zoomers and and millennials do it. Yeah, right. millennials and zoomers who don't have a cocaine habit. Yeah, it's just like regular yeah. younger people doing it. You can get a cocaine habit after you have the attendees. <laughs> yeah. Stonks are you need the diamond. Stonks are like stocks, except if you're using the term you know you're a bag holder. <laughs> right. 
so to start explaining like the mechanism of what happens, uh, need to do some terms. So when you short shares, which is at the center of this whole thing, you borrow right. shares at one price, sell them at that price, wait for the price to hopefully go down, and then you buy them back and then give them back to the person you borrowed them from. And you pocket the difference of selling high and buying low. And that's your profit. Mm -hmm. And in a short squeeze, you that's using you notice when someone else has done this shorting and you intentionally buy the shorted stock, causing the price to hopefully go up, squeezing the people who were short, or in other words, the price goes beyond what they bought it for and they increasingly are at a loss because it's the price is going up. And you know this because they're starting to cover their position and that pushes the price even further. And, and what does covering their position mean? Uh, that's buying back the share that they borrowed. Oh, at a loss. At uh, a loss. To, to make cover, sure they, their like, losses don't go up. Yeah, so their losses don't even get worse. Don't get even worse. Gotcha. Right. And so when there are a lot of shorts on a stock and you attempt this strategy, it's often easier to push the price up because they'll be scrambling to cover their position. But there's another level of the short squeeze, squeeze in this case with GameStop, because not only did people borrow, sh borrow the shares themselves and then sell those short, there are also people uh, who were in the options market for GameStop. And so they were selling call options that they thought no one would ever be able to collect money on because they figured the price would only go down. And they were selling these call options to who they believed were suckers, basically right. who thought the price would go up when they knew it would go down. But what they didn't expect was a subreddit, Wall Street Bets subreddit of a couple million people all decided, all just voted to buy GameStop stock and push and they entered successively higher limit and market orders into their brokerage apps, mostly on Robinhood, to push the price up, which initiated what's called a gamma squeeze. And so gamma is one of the terms in a complicated formula for options pricing called the Black Scholes equation. And it is why it's gotta be black. Yeah, white. Why it's gotta be Scholes. <laughs> and Gamma is just a word for the acceleration in how readily the price of the option increases given a unitary price increase in the underlying stock, in this case, GameStop. So not only were people losing on borrowed short shares, but they're also losing on these, these call options that were increasingly becoming worthless that they didn't cover for. So they didn't buy any other... Uh, they not only did they not buy GameStop stock to as a hedge against just, you know just in case someone did this, they didn't buy any options to cover themselves either on the other side of the trade. So it just accelerated out of control even more because of this what's called a gamma squeeze. Mm. Now a call option that's the um, you're selling the right to buy a stock at a certain price, and so they assumed that if they sold it the right for someone to buy a stock at like uh, $30, then uh, the price would go down and the person who bought that call option and then redeemed it uh, would 
basically operate at a loss, whereas the person who sold the call option would um, uh, operate at a gain. That's that's as I understand call options. Is that correct? That's pretty close. So they were assuming that the price would never get to the exercise price of the call option, thereby expiring worthless. And then they just get collect the credit that the person gave them to, to buy it in the first place. Okay. That's what they wanted to happen. But since it rose without limit and they didn't have any other, they didn't buy any call options of their own to offset it. Uh, they, potentially have infinite losses rather than like if you buy a stock and it goes to zero that sucks but you're limited to the loss of the 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 value of that position you don't go further they could end up losing more than they put in because there's no (laughs) ceiling to a price there's only a floor right yeah there was a there was a post going around I think Reddit um, where a guy said if you only learned what a gamma squeeze was two days ago you're gonna be the bag holder and I thought that was bad because I still haven't learned what a gamma squeeze is <laughs> so I think I'm gonna be the bag holder for the people who only learned what a gamma squeeze is two days ago. <laughs> uh, people are regular like proletarians are discussing gamma squeezes and I'm here for it. Stephen, how do you feel about a larger portion of the population now being at least slightly more knowledgeable about the stock market? I think it's mostly a good thing. Even if you don't do any trading, it's important to know mm-hmm. precisely how people are fucking with you, like these hedge funds. Right. Like it's good it's good to know more about their business and like how they screw us over. Yeah, makes sense. And I guess it's kind of obvious, but just to clarify, bag holder is uh the person who basically pours their money into a stock and then when um, to kind of pump it up and then when the stock kind of goes down and other people pull their money out, the bag holder is the one who operates at a loss um, at the benefit of everyone else who made money. Yeah, the uh, the best time on the 4chan biz board is anytime there's a significant uh, decline in the price of Bitcoin because you'll go on the front page and it'll be nothing but posts of pink Wojak screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's great I guess I would also add to this it's like the hedge funds have largely stopped hedging even though their name is what it is and this was an example of them being caught unhedged that went very badly because it was like a coordinated hit against them rather than just it happened to uh, the price happened to move against them for more ordinary reasons And to just kind of elaborate on what Steve just said, with GameStop specifically, what makes this so unique, and then from there we'll kind of move into the timeline of all this, is uh, the percentage of short that it was. So to just kind of run through a couple terms here, you can look up on finviz.com. You can look up any particular stock. They have some other places you can look this up. But there's the shares outstanding, which is just total shares. GameStop was at about 65 million. There's the shares float, which is the of the total shares, what is actually available to trade. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. the ones held by the institution. They're not for sale. But then for GameStop, there's about 50 million shares float. And then uh, the short float is out of that shares available to trade, how much of a short percentage is it? How much of those are, have been borrowed to short? You know, you borrow it, you sell it on the expectation that you can buy it back at a lower price later because you think it's going to go down. Right. And GameStop, this short percentage for GameStop went up to 140%. And that's 
not supposed to be physically possible, obviously. You shouldn't be able to short more than shales that actually exist. And the only way that could happen is if there was what is called naked short selling going on. Mm -hmm. And naked short selling is illegal, but the idea is, again, if you're shorting, you borrow a share from somebody, you immediately sell it, and then you buy it back later because it'll be cheaper and you'll make money. But if you naked short, you just don't actually buy or you don't actually borrow the asset. You essentially create a stock out of thin air or a broker lends you a share that doesn't exist. You immediately sell it. And now you have uh, created a situation where you can have a stock 140% short. Yeah. And it's not, um, I would say it's not technically illegal to do naked shorts, but they're usually very strict parameters because it's so risky. Mm-hmm. And like brokers will limit your ability to do this for regular people. But hedge funds who have more of a direct line to exchanges and just people just don't really prosecute them for this stuff are able to do it right. more freely. And usually hedge, back when hedge funds actually did hedge themselves, they would try to remain what's called delta neutral, which going back to the equation, the Black-Scholes equation, um, mm-hmm. they... What that means is if they take a position, if they go short in something, they want to remain long in the other direction overall. It's where you could cut, you could cover with the necessary stock if you needed to, or other, if you don't have that stock, at least have other stocks along to where you could sell them to buy their correct stock and then cover. But they weren't delta neutral in this case, as evidenced by there being more of a short interest than there were outstanding stocks. Now, there's also a way I think that you can have 140% of the GameStop shares shorted uh, without naked shorting, as I understand it, where you could have one group that, say, shorts uh, 100% of GameStop shares, and so someone else is buying those. And then that other party lends to someone else who shorts, say, 40% of those shares. And so you have like 140% of the uh, total shares in a shorting position, but many of those shares have been shorted twice. Right. Yeah, there could be different parties or the same party. It's true. There's a couple different ways you can arrive at more than 100% of the float being shorted. That's one of them. Another is through... um, taking out options positions, which are agreements to deliver a stock if it reaches a certain price. And so you could have notionally higher than 100% through that mechanism. Like if the price will move against you, as it has been, and you suddenly you need to make good on contracts where you like, oh, I'm going to sell you the stock at $30. And, but now it's at like 300 Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and I, all, I take that entire loss and it's like, yeah, that's that's another way you can get to over 100%. And of course, all three of these methods are extremely dangerous as they're all finding out now. Yep. Right. So. And that's what's so unique about this GameStop situation is because when you have 140% or I think S3 Partners says as of January 28th, about 113%, 113.31% of GameStop shares are short. That's their estimate. Um, but when you have more than 100% short, so as we mentioned, if you short it, you borrow it, you sell it, and then you have to buy it back later. But if 113% of the shares are short and you know, 
essentially to buy it back if the people who are holding it just do not sell theoretically the price could hit infinite it's kind of a prisoner's dilemma which we should define as well whereas if people sell eventually you could unwind this but in the theoretical if nobody sells then there are not enough shares to refund or for the people who short it to buy it and the price would be bid up theoretically infinitely until the people are willing to sell their shares is that about correct steve yeah basically it's and, uh it's different than if you like i was saying if you own a stock and it goes to zero that um you lose all of your principal if you right sell a stock that you didn't own in the first place and then it goes the other way there's no ceiling to that and you could theoretically just be wiped out and i think what makes this um situation particularly uh unique is that um a lot of the people who are buying GameStop stock are not expecting to make money Yes. They just saw that hedge funds were losing money and wanted to jump in with money that they could afford to lose and aren't so they aren't planning to sell. They're just putting money in there to hopefully destroy this hedge fund Melvin Capital. <laughs> like when I was going through Wall Street Bets subreddit to just kind of get a sense of where people are at and also it's like TikTok videos where people were posting about it. It seemed like it was about half people looking to make a buck and half people who really just were doing a spite trade where they just wanted right. particular hedge funds to suffer. And there's a lot of overlap, actually. So, like, there's some people who are just purely in there to make a buck, including perhaps some hedge funds. But the fact that they could make some hedge funds, uh, not necessarily the whole hedge fund industry, but some suffer was enough for people to, to, to become diamond hands, I guess. Well, and that's where I'm at, you know, because Melvin Capital, which we'll talk about a bit more in a minute, is this hedge fund. They're apparently down uh, $7 billion on the month, which is more than 53% of their capital. This is according to the Wall Street Fucking Journal. Awesome. So the thing is, like I said, I stand to lose $800 if GameStop goes to zero. But if I bankrupt at least one hedge fund, that's fine investment for me. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. that is... Uh, more entertainment and more sense of accomplishment than buying a PS5 is just <laughs> getting a bunch of hedge fund fuckheads to do the uh, Lehman Brothers, put your shit in boxes and walk out into the street dance. Uh, so, you know, like it sucks if some Redditor just pumped his bags on me, but if it bankrupts a hedge fund, I'll think it's money well spent. I view it as buying a ticket to a public execution. <laughs> like back in the olden days where people would just take their kids to like watch some guy get killed. But this is like a company, a hedge fund. Hmm. That was one of the questions I had was, Stephen, has something like this happened before in, in the U.S. history economy? Yeah, uh, there's a few instances of it. There's this really good book called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, which was written in the 20s. And it's like this one notorious, uh, not a hedge fund guy, but a uh, an individual investor who would go around doing things sort of like hedge funds do now. And he was mm -hmm. just talking about stories of um, groups of more average investors would just conspire to bid up and down prices more often, sort of like this. And they would do they would essentially do the same play against people who were shorting and do a. Uh, right. Or at least a delta hedge, but sometimes gaming hedges. Interesting. 
Sorry, I, I get sorry, delta squeeze and gamma squeeze, not hedge. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Oh, I was about to call you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys heard of the sigma squeeze? It's like an alpha <laughs> squeeze, but the sigma stands alone. He's like Keanu Reeves in the movie John Wick. Because like right. an alpha squeeze, they lead a pack, but the sigma squeeze is the rarest type of male squeeze that is like equal to the alpha, but stands alone. See, I'm more of a lambda, lambda, lambda squeeze man myself. Right. It's a lot of nerds and a group of strong black guys. <laughs> uh, I did want to just run through very quickly a timeline of what exactly happened here. This is just based on uh, uh, the podcast done by Shamath uh, Palihaptia. Um, he he ran Solid. he ran through a timeline. Thanks, Yogi. Helped me with the name before we started recording. Uh, he ran through a brief timeline of what kind of happened here with GameStop stock. So in June 2019, on Wall Street Bets, the user Deep Fucking Value um, bought uh, posted that he bought calls for GameStop for January 2021. He spent fifty thousand dollars at this time, and he advertised it on mm-hmm. Wall Street Bets. Those calls are now worth twenty five million dollars. And deep fucking value is kind of famous on Wall Street bets for every month he posts his YOLO GameStop up- updates, which shows his position and kind of encourages other people to get in and hold and such. And he has uh, brought upon himself the wrath of the finance community because the financial press has doxed him. And I have seen that there are people on Twitter suggesting that he might face criminal charges for uh, pumping a stock. Uh, so it is something where there are a lot of indications that uh, hedge funds and the financial press are extremely mad at people on this forum, which does not indicate to me a position of strength. Uh, but so that's June 2019. Then August 2019, Michael Burry, who's um, the guy who Christian Bale played in The Big Short, um, and I am also proud to report that he has blocked me on Twitter just recently after I quote tweeted him and said he is the villain in the movie The Big Short. Uh <laughs> <laughs> which like we've run through before, but the story of the big short is a bunch of people recognized the housing crash and then uh, dumped their worthless assets onto German pensioners uh, who, who right. had the mistaken idea that these were AAA assets and then got a movie made about what heroes they are. But anyways, Michael Burry, the big short guy in August, 2019 disclosed a 3% position in GameStop. He said 90% of the stores are cash positives. He said it's, you know, undervalued. So he took a significant stake. August, 2020, Ryan Cohen, the founder of Chewy.com takes a 10% stake. Uh, September, 2020, a user on Wall Street Bets note, uh, notes a 120% short interest in GameStop. And also that, you know, the new consoles are coming out Christmas. It has a strong balance sheet. Ryan Cohen, the Chewy.com founders there. He says there's a lot of play for a short squeeze here. Uh, November 2020, Wall Street Bets user highlights Melvin Capital going long GameStop puts. January 2021, GameStop strikes agreement with Ryan Cohen, the Chewy.com founder, adds him to the board and gives him t- him and two of his allies board seats. This immediately causes a 13% stock rise. Uh, this is January 12 and 13. Uh, it's up to 20 to share. January 14, it's up to 40 a share. And then since January 14, there's been this really law this really intense ongoing battle of people buying calls and the stock. The short interest goes all the way up to 140%. Um, and then over the past seven days, there've been over $100 billion in GameStop trades, uh, which kind of indicates that in the last week, institutional investors have gotten into this as well 
on the long side. So it's not just retail doing this at this point. Um, January 25th, uh, $2.7 billion is injected into Melvin Capital by Citadel and Steve Cohen's 0.72 Asset Management. So these two other hedge funds have to kind of bail out Melvin Capital uh, because they've lost so much money on this GameStop short. January 27th, Discord bans the Wall Street Bets Discord channel for quote-unquote mm-hmm. hate yep. speech. And this was like the funniest thing because they did this in the middle of the trading day after GameStop had had a huge rally and they suddenly right. just found all this hate speech that they had never noticed. Uh, <laughs> but Discord insists that they are uh, they did not ban this for any reason associated with the stock whatsoever. It just so happens to be they found a bunch of hate speech. Uh, Bird Respector on Twitter pointed out that there are still several openly Nazi Discord channels. Right. <laughs> Like uh, 75% of Discord's revenue comes from uh, people grooming underage children on their channels. Sure. But they really sprang into action with Wall Street bets. To be fair, there's like, since there's so much uh, overlap or like a fair amount anyway from like 4chan or whatever mm. to the Wall Street mm-hmm. bets, there, I mean, there is some age speech on there. And like, sure, so like the more sort of like principled sort of occupy ish people, in my opinion, ought to like stand up against that. But it's not obviously what Discord did was motivated by the stock prices. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were running scare tactics at that point. They were, you know, terrified of this thing snowballing. And I think that you know, I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen this upcoming week because I do feel like the scare tactics that were employed from shutting down the WSB board for a little bit to the Discord blocking and stuff didn't really work. And I think that, you know, from what I understand, even people that haven't invested in GameStop saw or read the Reddit posts that a lot of them got deleted about people that were like, I've lived through Occupy and several financial crashes. I don't give a fuck if I'm going to lose this money. I want to fuck over these people that have never had to deal with the consequences of their actions. I think that economics is rarely empathetic. And this is a moment where you're seeing people investing purely with empathy instead of, or not empathy, but purely with like fuck that company instead of like, I'm trying to get rich from this. And so that certainly is the change. That is a form of empathy, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, empathy seems like the wrong word, but I think that the point I'm making is clear is, is like, I'd rather lose my money now to fuck over a giant hedge fund because it means more to me that they're dead than I have an extra, you know, couple hundred dollars or PS5 or whatever. There's... There's definitely this connection to Occupy Times, like literally through people's mm-hmm. life stories that they post about and it gets deleted mysteriously. Mm. Um, but like I've, yeah, I mean, I, I found that a lot just sort of sorting through the the forum. There's definitely, yeah, so there's connection to Occupy that I think a lot of, there's like this cohort of like leftists who are sort of, Saying like, oh, the GameStop thing—that's not important. I mean, that's just a few, a few rich people buying the dust, and other rich people using Wall Street bets as pawns in their game to profit from it. And I'm like, right. yes, there are some hedge funds on the other side of the trade making money, but I think you—it would be foolish to overlook the amount of collective organizing 
that it took to execute hopefully a few of a few of these hedge funds while mm-hmm. also making a buck for average people and to just dismiss that would be a mistake i think mm-hmm. like that's a that's sure. an opportunity to talk to people who are being radicalized and you know connect it back to occupy like some of them are already doing it's also they're they're also discounting how funny it is to see <laughs> yeah a hedge fund manager cry on on national television over people who say stonks <laughs> it's yeah it's it's ridiculously funny and easy to relate to and to dismiss it is just the wrong call to me i think though that one thing that we may be underestimating is that this to me at least seems to be a direct response to how fruitless and hopelessly bullshit this time in the pandemic has been where we can't you know physically organize into groups but something like this can organically build online and quickly build momentum because even if it's stimulus checks or people's bank accounts or whatever it is people currently have time and anger and even if you know this hedge fund isn't a common enemy for all the people involved like it's just an enemy in, in the same vein that in the Occupy Wall Street photos of people drinking champagne and laughing at the Wall Street Occupy Wall Street movement like those people aren't like directly the enemy but it's like fuck that person I'm going to do everything I can right now and I would really hope that this time could lead to more movements where people are utilizing their time and money to take down larger opponents like this. Mm-hmm. But so that kind of brings us to the last thing on the timeline, which is so Wednesday, January 27, Discord shuts down the Wall Street Bets Discord. And then January 28th, shit really hits the fan because GameStop stock rallies above $400 in pre-market trading and Robinhood shuts off the ability, Robinhood, the trading app, shuts off the ability to buy GameStop stock. And they're the primary person that this has been reported about, but it should be noted that TD Ameritrade also restricted trading in it. Um, Charles Schwab restricted trading in it. Um, Mm -hmm. Webull, another trading app, restricted trading in it. But all of them restricted trading just on the buy side. And that's what's so rigged about this entire thing is Robinhood allows you to uh, to sell the stock, but they don't allow you to buy the stock. And that is clearly Mm going to put downward pressure on the price. So they do that on Thursday. They do, like, it peaks at about $480 a share, but then this does cause some downward pressure on the price. It closes Friday around $325. But it's just so... What I want people to understand about this is, regardless of how it goes, if it does go belly up, a lot of people are going to blame Reddit and say, oh, uh, they've got a lot of suckers in to pump their bags on them, and these people lost money because of Reddit. But... What happened here with Robinhood and these other apps shutting down the buy side of this trade was blatant market manipulation because there is no doubt in my mind that this thing on that Thursday peaked at 480. If they did not shut down the buy side of that trade, it would have absolutely run up. I think uh, at least 560 is estimates I've heard in terms of like what the calls and puts were. Um, yep. So just the fact that they shut down the buy side of the trade is a lot of people who were in this, who understood the fundamentals of it, lost a ton of money because of that decision that they made. And, you know, with the time we have left, we can talk about 
this, uh, what has been offered as the reasons why Robinhood and these other brokers shut down the buy side of that trade. Um, but I just want to underline that the they are claiming that this is for liquidity reasons, and maybe that's true. But if that is the case, then why not shut down the buy and the sell side until you can recapitalize? Right. When you just shut down the buy side, you are clearly engaged in market manipulation. You are pushing the price of a stock down. And with Robinhood, they clearly have conflict of interest to want to do that because of just who gives them their revenue. It's it's worth mentioning that um, the Robinhood business model is more or less built on insider trading. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The idea is that they allow you to make trades for free. And the way that they then make money from that is they sell your trading information uh, to companies with high-speed trading algorithms that will front run your own trading decisions. And so they'll they'll buy a stock before you right before you buy it so that when you buy it, it'll increase the value of the stock. And, you know, it's... Oh, really? Yeah, and it's, it's just like, you know, fractional um, at that level. But when you have Robinhood's entire trading base... Um, right. Going into these algorithms, it's it's quite the cash cow. Hmm. It's like Superman three. <laughs> and retail traders are becoming a more important segment of total trading. So, like people who buy a hundred stocks or less, or like only a few options contracts, there's mm-hmm. a those are just called we're referred to as odd lots, and they're paid mm-hmm. companies. Uh, brokerages will send that information over to Citadel or someone. Citadel is one of their biggest customers, mm. Robin Hood's customers. Right. Um, and they they get the order flow, they can front run it, they can slice and dice it and see who's who's asking for what price and do like a whole bunch of data science on it that the average person can't do. And control, fundamentally control the price to pump things up and dump things down for their benefit rather than like the average investors. Hmm. So it's really like a struggle over like who gets to price stocks. I think fundamentally hmm. should, should hedge funds be able to control prices for stocks or should random subreddits be able to do it? Right. And we should just give a brief explanation here of um, 0.72 asset management is the hedge fund founded by Stephen A. Cohen. We did an episode on Stephen A. Cohen. If you want to learn more, he was banned. He was banned from the security industry for multiple years for uh, quote unquote failure to supervise. But it was really a case of, in my opinion, just insider trading, where one of his traders is doing a nine-year prison sentence, and he refused to uh, drop a dime on his boss, so they couldn't get him on insider trading. Um, but uh, check out the episode if you want to learn more about that. But so 0.72 Asset Management and Citadel are kind of like the bigger fish, whereas Melvin is the smaller fish in terms of hedge funds. Melvin was founded Mm -hmm. by one of Stephen A. Cohen's former traders. Uh, So they had to go to, Melvin had to go to 0.72 Asset Management and Citadel for this $2.7 billion bailout on their GameStop losses. And Citadel is so significant to this story because, as we mentioned, their relationship with Robinhood, who made this decision to shut off trading. So if Citadel right. is investing billions in a company, in a hedge fund that is short this stock, and they're also one of the primary revenue drivers for Robinhood, you can just see the conflict of interest there. It's very blatant. Uh, I was going to mention 
I don't know if we have any time for this, but there's like sort of a supply chain to the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. And the main thing they want is collateral. So everyone needs to collateralize uh, at least part of the bets they're making on stocks and options. And what happened with the GameStop thing was there's like a lack of people were facing what are called margin calls where they like they're so they're using margin to buy and sell things. And suddenly there wasn't enough of that to go around because the hedge funds were being short squeezed. And eventually that worked its way up the supply chain to uh, apparently the settlement companies. There's one that the there's huge settlement clearing houses that people just never hear about, but they're insanely important to the financial system. Hmm. So there's one called DTCC, which I think stands for depository trust clearing company. I want to say. And we touched on them in the Bernie Madoff episode. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, they're obviously extremely important to the entire system and they are involved in negotiations about like, okay, you guys need to, even though it wouldn't normally be a margin call for say Robin hood, I feel like you need to, because it might bring us down and we might have an actual liquidity event. Right. So they're like Robin hood has its stated margin requirements, but a lot of people who weren't technically hitting up against those limits, nonetheless had, um, maybe we'll get to this later, but uh, their, some of their GameStop stock was sold for them by Robinhood. And it's okay for brokerages to do that if they need to, if you're facing a margin call, they're allowed to sell securities such that you once again are in the limits of collateral. Mm. And that happens and that's legal. But some people are saying, wait a minute, I wasn't anywhere near that, but they still did it. So there's like some confusion about that. Mm. Yeah, and just kind of a brief overview of Citadel. Um, so I've seen people online try to debunk this Robinhood connection because there's Citadel, the hedge fund, and then there's Citadel Securities. Citadel Securities is an electronic market maker. And uh, people say these are two separate companies. Uh, it should be noted they are both founded by billionaire Ken Griffin. And the evidence of them being separate companies is that they are supposedly separated by a Chinese firewall. And uh, if we have learned one thing about hedge fund billionaires, it is that they will never cross a Chinese firewall. <laughs> um, just any sort of law, any sort of regulation, these guys are 100%. They are, you know, Cato the Younger, very noble Romans, all about the law. Um but so Citadel Securities is the electronic market maker, and they're the ones who pay Robinhood for order flow, not the hedge fund. But again, both founded by billionaire Ken Griffin. Um, and to understand Citadel Securities, Bloomberg reported in 2018 that 40% of Robinhood's revenue uh, in 2018 were derived from selling customers' orders to firms like Citadel Securities. Uh, Citadel Securities, according to Financial Times, accounts for 40 out of every 100 shares traded by individual investors in the U.S., making it the number one retail market maker. Um, according to Zero Hedge, I believe quoting Wall Street Journal, Citadel handled 29% of GameStop trading volume Monday through Thursday, um, while at the same time they are losing billions on their investment in Melvin. So you can see where this conflict of interest comes in, because... Citadel is probably the number one player in terms of actually fulfilling these trades for retail investors. Robinhood's money, significant chunk of it, comes from Citadel. And so they are losing money on this short position. 
And like Steve said there, they don't have to explicitly say, hey, shut down X, Y, Z. They can just raise margin requirements or do whatever else to Robinhood or to these other brokers to put pressure on them to shut down the buy side of the trade. Right. And um, so the CEO of Robinhood was asked, like, okay, was there a liquidity event that was threatening you guys? And he's like, no, there wasn't. Um, it was just to, to help the to help keep our traders safe. <laughs> so he was sort of like, uh, I think he was being interviewed by CNBC. Mm-hmm. And so right. he gave that as the explanation. So I'm like, so either like there, there could very well have been a legitimate liquidity crisis going on that we won't sure. ever know about, or like maybe the SEC will, but they like hide it because it was so us. threatening. Yeah. Uh, if DTCC really was involved, maybe there was one. But if there wasn't, that's also pretty bad because it means that he was stopping people from buying for no prudent reason. Right, right. Right, just kind of committing a crime in plain sight. Yeah, so like either way, if whether there was a liquidity crisis going on or not, it looks pretty bad for Robinhood. Right, so uh, Vladimir Tenev is the Robinhood CEO. He was on CNBC being interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin. He says... He says, quote, we're really in unprecedented times, and in order to protect the firm and protect our customers, we had to limit buying in these stocks. And then Andrew Ross Sorkin asks him, quote, it sounds to me like you're suggesting there was a liquidity problem at the firm. And he just goes, no, there was no liquidity problem. (laughs) And so that's the thing about their explanation is because, you know, obviously they can't say that we colluded with any hedge fund or anything because that's highly illegal. Uh, and then they have to say we were doing it to protect whatever, but they don't want to say there's a liquidity problem because then obviously people who have their money in there, investors are going to be like, what the fuck? Get my money out. I don't want to be stuck holding this right. bag if you go under. But then uh, on Friday, Robinhood raised an additional $1.5 billion U.S. dollars. So it's like there's no liquidity problem, but we had to raise $1.5 billion immediately after all this went yeah. down. Yeah, it's like either way, it looks pretty bad for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know which would be worse. Yeah. And uh, so Google has deleted over 100,000 negative one-star reviews from the Google Play App Store that people left for Robinhood. Just so happens Google has an investment in Robinhood. Uh, oh. the Robinhood gave uh, their 1,000 employees a $40 DoorDash credit to quell discontent with the decision to block buying in the GameStop stock. <laughs> uh And, you know, so, like, it is something where, like, the liquidity problem would not surprise me, but it is so interesting that you add up, Robinhood got most of the focus, but it was also, as we mentioned, uh, Weeble, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. Are they all having liquidity problems? It's possible, Hmm. but the fact that they just shut down the buy side as opposed to just freezing the buy and the sell side and being honest and saying, hey, we need to raise some money and then we will resume this trade does really heavily indicate to me that there was uh, a thumb put on the scale. And because like, we don't really know for sure what these hedge funds did on that Thursday that Robinhood shut down the buy side of the trade because they run it all out of dark pools, um, which... Maybe we should just kind of explain a dark pool is a, a privately organized financial forum, uh, according to Investopedia, for trading securities. Uh, it allows institutional investors to trade without exposure until after their trade has been executed or reported. Uh, and hedge funds almost all have dark pools. Uh, 
So we don't really know exactly what trades they entered into there, but it does make sense. And I've seen the theory going around that when Robinhood shut down the buy side on Thursday, hedge funds were able to, to an extent, cover their short and then make new shorts at like a higher level. So shorted at 200 or whatever else. And I mean, I've also seen the argument that it would take these hedge funds like more than a week to unwind all their trades. They wouldn't be able to do it in just one day. But I think it is important to note that Robinhood froze the playing field. They froze it just for, and these others, brokers, they froze it just for retail investors and they allowed all the institutional investors an entire trading day to set up their positions as well as possible. So there's no way to undo what was done on that Thursday and we'll see how it goes this trading week. But I, I again, just want to underline, don't let anybody fucking blame Reddit for what happened here. This was a completely rigged game that everybody uh, was playing and they may or may not actually beat these people at a rigged game. They've certainly inflicted a lot of uh, damage against them so far. Now, um, Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, <laughs> uh, has been tasked with looking into this um, and Sean, she's coming at this with a uh, an objective perspective. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. She uh, she's you know Citadel Securities just thinks that she is such an intelligent speaker that a one hour speech from her is worth eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like seeing Chris Rock live. You'll pay anything. <laughs> or if t- right, or if Tupac Shakur came back from the grave and put on one concert, I think eight hundred thousand a ticket would be a fair price. But that's about that's about what Citadel paid uh, Janet Yellen for a speech after she left her role as Federal Reserve Chair. Maybe they paid her that much to do uh, Gallagher's act. <laughs> in in fairness, in fairness, I think it was two speeches. Oh, okay, so four hundred thousand a speech. Yeah. Hey, that's my race. She had to put in some work. Gallagher's <laughs> Brothers Act. Uh, there's been a class action lawsuit filed against Robinhood. Uh, should be noted, a lot of people point out that all these things have these mandatory arbitrage clauses and stuff that say you can't sue them. Yeah, however, mandatory uh, arbitration. Arbitration, excuse me. Um, however, uh, Deepak Gupta Law on Twitter uh, pointed out that despite this arbitration clause, uh, the clause is subject to FINRA's rules, which protect investors' right to bring class actions in court. So despite this arbitration, because of FINRA rules, they may actually be able to bring a class action lawsuit forward. We will see. I don't know, guys. I just think that GameStop is a really reputable company, and I think that the stock going up is just them proving to the economy that they're really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what people are talking about stonks. I'm not sure how Reddit's involved, but I'm pretty sure that GameStop is just a company that's really good. I, you know, I was thinking there's probably some people who are in on the Wall Street bets thing. They're like, yeah, no, I mean, I just, I really do think it is worth $350. <laughs> like, no, that, that this company is going places. A company that makes fun of a baby Sean McCarthy for not knowing <laughs> how to ask three questions in one phone call. <laughs> That's a company I want to invest in. It's it's incredible to imagine that right now, uh, as we speak, there are probably meetings going on in the White House as to how to uh, uh, close out this this issue and in, in a way that benefits the hedge funds without it being visible. Right. Listen here, Jack. 
I don't know what a stonk is. <laughs> Joe Biden going yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining somebody being tasked with explaining tendies to Joe Biden. <laughs> my, my mental picture of Joe Biden in the White House is just like a, a mid 2000s video game NPC just walking <laughs> into the walls and then backing up and walking into the wall again. It's like that that hitman level in the White House where they did a glitch so that you just drop a grenade somewhere and all the guards run into the wall repeatedly. <laughs> uh but, you know, look, we'll see what's going to happen here. I did want to just mention this CNBC article uh, that quotes uh, uh, S3 Partners is a stock analysis firm. Um, they point out that the borrow fee on GameStop stock or the cost to borrow shares for the purpose of selling them short has jumped to 29.32% on existing shorts and 50% on new short positions. Again, according to S3 Ooh. Partners. And then they quote... Um, the managing director of predictive analytics at S3. And he says, quote, if most of the shorts had covered, we would not be seeing stock borrow rates at these high levels. By now, you would be able to borrow uh, GME, GameStop stock, at single-digit levels due to an increase in the lendable stock loan supply due to borrowed shares being returned after all the supposed buy-to-covers. Um, and so GameStop remains the most shorted name in the market as of January 28th. We mentioned that the short interest peaked at about 140%. SC, S3 Partners puts it right now, as of January 28th, at about 113.31%. Hard to know how accurate this data is, but it does seem like um, there's still a, a, a huge short interest. We just don't quite know what price everybody's been shorting it at. Right. So they're still out there, which means diamond hands, guys. Diamond hands. Exactly. Hold, hold the line. <laughs> right. And... Diamond Cox. And according to this same article, total short seller year, uh, total short seller losses this year since the start of January 21, 2021 exceed 50 billion US dollars. S3 Partners estimates that 19.75 billion of that is in GameStop alone. Uh, apparently, they lost $8 billion just on Friday. Wow. So, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think I'm going to hold be diamond hands just because I don't know how I would be able to face the listeners if I wasn't willing to lose $800 over a completely retarded reasons. But any other predictions for what might happen or any other closing thoughts going forward, guys? All right. I think a second coup is going to happen and they're going to be like, we've got to shut down Wall Street. Got a whole bunch of WSB people up in up on the steps we got to shut shit down. I really do think, though, that uh, this, this won't stand. I put all of my fake uh, best broker's money into GameStop uh, again, and uh, I, I don't plan on keeping it all, whatever, but I do think that Wall Street will do some sort of like, what? There was a bomb threat called on the building? Uh-oh, looks like all the stocks have to something, something. I'm not sure what will happen, but I, I predict chaos. Mm -hmm. uh, next week, they're trying... I just look, they... Wall Street Bets is now just holding like a public vote on who to kill next, basically. <laughs> and it's like and one for next week is AMC. We'll see how it goes. There's like less of a short uh short interest as a percentage of the float mm -hmm. for it, so it might not pop as much. But GameStop is still going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. Also, uh that's not a recommendation to to do either of those things. 
Yeah, and one last thing on that naked shorting. Um, there was a Wall Street Bets user, Johnny Dagger, who pointed out the uh, failure to deliver numbers from GameStop. And so this is when we talk about naked shorting, they create, shorts create what's called an anti-share, which is a paper product that trades like a share but cannot actually be delivered. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, if the short works, that's no problem. But if it doesn't work, this creates a lot of problems uh, because it creates these situations where the short is unable to deliver the share. So uh, Michael Burry, again, the um, uh, big short guy, has said that in May 2020, way before this all popped off, he said it took his broker weeks to find him shares of GameStop. And this is, again, before this all popped off. Uh, this user, Johnny Daggers, took a look through the SEC data for December 2020, the last that it's available. He noted that GameStop had 1.787 million failed to deliver shares in that time period, whereas the company Lowe's, for another example, had 13,960 failed to deliver shares. Uh, Boston Beer Company had about 295 shares failed to deliver. So there is some evidence, and we don't know how true it is, there is some evidence that there might have been, to me, there's compelling evidence. There might have been naked short selling. There might have been this creation of these fake shares. And if that does pan out, I mean, these people, I think the thesis at Wall Street Bets is right. And I'm I'm rooting for them all the way, not just because I own three shares valued at $800. <laughs> Andy, you got a prediction? Oh, um, I don't have a prediction. I'm just here for the ride. Nice. Yeah. Well, All we'll right. see how high the price target gets. But, uh, you know, I think once you're getting near a thousand, the SEC is probably going to step in. Like, <laughs> you know, it is theoretically it can go to infinite. But at some point, the big players are going to get involved and shut your shit down. So we'll see how it goes. OK, I want GameStop to be worth a trillion dollars as a company. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I don't know what price its stock needs to get to in order for that to be true. I haven't done the math on that, but let's just keep this thing going so that it rivals, like it's, just say it's worth more than Google. <laughs> right. Or something. Did you know that if you bring in your $10,000 GameStop shares to GameStop, they'll offer you $5 for it? <laughs> <laughs> Best I can do is a used copy of Sudeiki 2 for Xbox uh, One. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to people that have left some reviews on our podcast, to those that have sent us dirt and suggestion for billionaires. Thank you for your support. Really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. I'm Yogi Polywool. I'm Steve Jeffries. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Uh, careful trading out there. Don't bet any money you can't lose. And let's hope we all see at least one hedge fund bankruptcy in the near future. She got a, she got a, she got a stonk. Now stonk with it. Go stonk with it. Get stonky with it. Shout out to Lydia Burrell. All right. <laughs> the house always wins. <laughs>